panic button edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. We're back with plenty, and I mean plenty, to talk about this week. The Ducks coming off of a 4-1 to loss tonight. We just witnessed that against the St. Louis Blues after a devastating loss the night before uh, to the same Blues 6-1, to where they allowed three goals in, in the first, what was it, two minutes, something like that. So, red alert right now, I think, in, in Anaheim. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've seen in the past, especially with Randy Carlisle, a lot of people get on the fire Carlisle bandwagon. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I've ever seen as many people fed up with the organization on the whole as I have in the last two days. People wanting Murray gone. People, all, all, basically all the different things that, that you see with a disgruntled fan base. And, I mean, our own Bonnie. Our, our own Bonnie, who is a, a wonderful fan of the team, is lives and dies with the team, will never root for the tank, wants the team to do its best, is fed up with this team. I, I've like been talking to her a little bit about it and she'll probably chime in in the Twitch chat here or there, listen to this podcast and message me about it. But she's even said she's done with this team, that something has to change. Something has to happen with this franchise. And that kind of shows you that even your most diehard fans are thinking that way. Not just the analytical types like you and me, uh, that the nerds, of, the nerds that the look at the numbers and look at all these things, everyone's seeing it. And it almost felt like this weekend was not the comeuppance because I don't think that's really the right way to put it. But this weekend was almost a long time. It felt like it felt like a crescendo. If like we finally hit like it's like all these checks that Bob Murray has been writing finally came due. It felt like it was inevitable. Not enough funds in the bank to make payment, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I, I think that look, we don't want to start too to doom and gloom after what we just saw and, and lose everybody up front. But, uh, I mean, think about it, Jake. Even the people who actually watch the games are down on this team now. Because, you know, we don't watch the games. We just look at numbers. <laughs> yeah, we only look at the numbers. So even, we, we don't sit and watch every game. We definitely haven't yeah. We definitely haven't done a podcast for years recapping games, going uh, going play-by-play, yeah. you know. Yeah, you, you you know it's bad when the people who, who are watching the games, you know, the, the people in my replies who – who accused me of not watching. If, if even they're saying it, you know that we're in good shape here. So anyway, <laughs> all of that aside, let's uh let's just kind of look at the look at the week that was, you know, this this very pleasant week of of Ducks hockey. Take me back to, to Arizona here a bit, Jake. Well, what can you say about that series? The Ducks started off pretty solidly, I guess you could uh, say, despite uh-huh. some awful, awful underlying numbers. Hey, they got a win. One well, to nothing, a game where John Gibson had to be superhuman. Yeah, that first game, when I say that this felt this weekend felt inevitable, it's because of games like that first game where the Ducks got a, a goal out of kind of nowhere. They ended up taking a one nothing lead. Um, am I remembering correctly? I feel like at times because these are series, I'm usually mm-hmm. good at being able to like, uh, separate goals based upon who, which team was being played and separated by that. I feel like with the way that these series are working, it's messing with my brain. That was the game where mm-hmm. uh, where Jacob Silverberg got the goal quick, right? Or was it? Yep. Okay. Yep. Right in the first minute or something. I mean, first few minutes. Yeah. Yep. So that was the 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 first game against Arizona when that goal happened from Jacob Silverberg, and then the Ducks really just kind of sat back on that goal and really defended, really relied upon. Uh, just absolutely brilliant. Uh, or sorry, no, that game was actually Danton Heinen that scored. Um, that, yeah, that was sorry. Back, uh, Silverberg scored in mm-hmm. the second game. 
Um, yep. But kind of circling back, that doesn't really change the point where the Ducks really sat back after getting that goal and let the Coyotes bring the game to them. And basically the only reason the Ducks won that game was that John Gibson was otherworldly in that game. I believe it was like two and a half goal saved above expected or something in that game uh, with a one nothing shot at one point during the game. They showed the stat of John Gibson being up there in terms of I think it's historical numbers, not positive of one nothing shutout wins. Um, which isn't exactly something I would write home about that shows more so how poor the franchise has been over the last couple of years at being able to score. Um, so this game almost feels like this feels like the way they had been playing the last couple weeks. They had a couple good games here and there against Colorado, but this ducks team doesn't have the capability to score. And we've been saying that we said offense was going to be ability. A lot of people said that we were obviously maybe a little higher that the defense could jump in and help out a little bit with that. But we saw in this game, they scored a goal and then basically sat back and defended the entire time. The next game, which they ended up losing against the coyotes, they, they lost by a three to two score. Um, so they ended up getting two goals in that game, but it was the same script. It, it was getting a lead, sitting back, sitting back, sitting back on it and um, essentially relying upon John Gibson to be able to do all the work for them. And that second game was just absolutely atrocious. We've probably mentioned this all over the place, but in that second period of the second game against the Coyotes, they had .08 expected goals for. .08. Yeah. Like, it's just ridiculous. And so the fact mm -hmm. that that series, even though they got two points out of it, which is great, they got a split out of it, which from a standings perspective is great. The underlying numbers and the trends that we saw in that series were not a very good thing to move forward. And those trends really reared reared their ugly heads during this Blues series. Yes. Well, so just to finish up, I guess, a bit on the Arizona series, what we saw, what what we've seen this week has been a steady decline of the Ducks' ability to get away with things, to get away with some of their bad habits. Because um, in game one against Arizona, they take it one to nothing. Danton Heinen has a good game. I mean, he had a really solid game and gets the goal. And everybody's feeling good, even though it wasn't perfect. John Gibson with some amazing saves. But then in game two against Arizona, I mean, you pointed out the point zero eight. I would point to the fact that the Ducks registered zero high-danger scoring chances at 5-on-5 five five the entire game. Over the game. Not over a period. Over the game. I don't think I've ever seen that in, in since the time we've been covering this team since 2017 I've and and we've seen some we've seen some pretty bad teams during that stretch led by Randy Carlisle and and the in those seasons I don't think I've ever seen a, a Ducks team during that stretch get zero high danger scoring yeah. chances in a single game I mean that and and you and I I believe that was the game we did the broadcast right we did no we did the watch along for the first game the again. first game the first game not the second one first game that's right but so in that second game it was a continuation of what we saw in game one where the Ducks really had no ability to get through the neutral zone they spent a bunch of time in their own zone really sitting back in a very passive kind of almost penalty kill type box at five on five just really protecting the, the the middle of the ice at all costs and to the detriment of their ability to create offense. And, and you really saw that in that game. And so, um, sure, you know, they, they, it was a close score. And if you purely looked at, um, at that, you might say, Hey, it wasn't too bad, but 
there was nothing really good about that game for the Ducks. Yeah, there really wasn't. And we talked about this a bit on the, I think it was the Patreon episode that we recorded yesterday. Um, it's all blending together. Yeah, it, Every, everything is blending it, together. It really is, seeing as we're now adding the watch logs, which we'll get to a little bit more later as to how if you want to get in on those. But that's uh, three hours that we're doing on screen for all of you. And so it's all blending together. But, I mean, you look at the Ducks and you look at this series, and I think that this was a, a, a stark kind of uh, realization for this Ducks team. I, I think that the Colorado Avalanche series, they, they look decent, I think, against the Avs. And I think this Coyote series was a rude awakening that the reason why they look good against the abs or decent against the abs is the abs are kind of open. And you were the one that mentioned this, that the abs aren't exactly known for their defensive structure. They're a team that are willing to trade chances with you because they have the skill level to be able to pot their chances and, and win games like that. They don't necessarily, they trust their, their guys to put the puck in the net and not lead to odd man rushes the other way. And so for the Ducks, when they have John Gibson being the goaltender, being able to stop the chances um, and kind of be able to get chances going the other way as a result, the Ducks are able to generate more offense because the other team is giving that to them. Whereas we were playing a well-structured Coyotes team who are built upon basically suffocating type defense. That's kind of what they're trying to do. They don't have the offensive talent either. The Ducks really struggle, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that this team doesn't necessarily have the offensive talent to back guys off to create their own chances. The only way that they can really create chances is based off mistakes, and and that's really what we saw in the that series against the Coyotes. The the goal from uh, Jack Silverberg comes to mind right away in the fact that um, it was a really bad turnover by the Coyotes in their own end. He's able to get it and capitalize on it. And the thing is, turnovers are going to come in every single game. Every team's going to make them, whether it's the Ducks making them, whether it's the other team. And be able to capitalize on them is good. That That's how you can generate offense. That's one way. But the issue is it's not necessarily sustainable because there's not going to be a significant amount of those every single game. You have to be able to create your own chances, whether you're a team that thrives in transition. And that's how you create your chances by having a good breakout that leads to transition. Whether you're a team like the Ducks when they were at their best the under Bruce Boudreaux and all those years, they were not a transition team. They were a team that entered the zone, got the puck in the zone, had a ferocious forecheck, recovered pucks, and, and then created chances off of those winning those one-on-one battles with the Ryan Getzloss, with the Corey Perrys, with the Ryan Kesslers. And the issue is the current iteration of the Ducks don't really have any of that. They don't really have the offensive skill. They don't have the ability to get in on the forecheck. They don't really have any of these to be able to create chances for themselves offensively. And so the only way that they're really able to generate offense right now is off of mistakes from the other team. And that's just not sustainable. And that's what we saw in the Coyote series. I think that's what we saw in tonight's game. Uh, or in the the series against the Blues, maybe I think they did a little bit of a better job tonight, and we'll get to that a little bit more. Generate creating their own offense at times in transition, but for the most part, they still struggle with that, and, and that's the big issue right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that all of those, everything you said there was was uh, pretty on point. Now, one thing I did want to point out, you know, that we did see in that uh, in that Arizona series in Game One, something that much to your chagrin. Uh, Troy Terry scratched in favor of Vinny Letary, a move that I don't think anybody really saw coming. Nope. Maybe we should have, given that Letary made the taxi squad out of training camp after being signed as a free agent by the Ducks. What did you think of his game? I mean, he only lasted one game, but in that game, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? And maybe just your thoughts on Terry being scratched? Um, so I, I think in the one game that Letary played, I think he looked okay. I, I think he looked better than I expected, I guess, is a good way to put it. Um, 
I, I didn't really expect a whole lot, and he showed that he has at least something. Um, he has the ability to stick hand a little bit in the offensive zone. I mean, on the whole, that line still was not good in that game. I mean, that, they got caved in. That that yeah. line got caved Cold in. Steel the so I mean, yeah. if, if the thought process there was get Troy Terry off the line, put a more veteran type of player in Vinny Terry there who has has earned or worked his way up through the minors, everything like that potentially have more of a grinder on that line to help them out defensively that thought process didn't work i mean they were still the the second worst line for the ducks in terms of expected or yeah second worst line in terms of expected goals for percentage on the night with uh 30.19 expected goals for percentage 0.14 and 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 it's not as if they generated and were freewheeling hockey either 0.14 expected goals for 0.34 against so I think he looked fine, but I don't think he really brought anything to the table that Troy Terry didn't. And, and my thoughts on, on Terry getting scratched. So everyone out there probably knows I'm a huge because Troy Terry fan. By the fan. way, he got he got scratched again against Saturday, the Blues. And, and so yep. here's my thoughts on that. I, I think overall it makes sense. I don't think Troy Terry's necessarily been good to start the year. I don't think that line on the whole has been that good to start the year. I think after a really good first game against Vegas where – they actually held the advantage in terms of expected goals for percentage. The Comtois Steel Terry line has been a big drag on this off or on the team for the entirety of the season, basically. And so do, do you wanna do you want a hot take? Sure, go for it. This this might really piss some people off. And I'm sorry, but in their stated in their mission statement, so what the team what the specific lines are asked to do. I think that the the steel line has been worse than the Grant line. I think that they've actually been even worse than the Grant line. No, that's fair. They don't, they're not they're not giving you really any offense, and they're just as bad, if not worse, defensively. Yeah. So that that line has been abysmal. No, right? I I one hundred percent agree. And, and so it seemed like Troy Terry kind of was a bit of the fall guy for that line. I don't. I think Eakins likes Max Comtois too much, and I think the the fact that. Comtois has Sam Steele and say, no, I know I'll get there. Don't worry. But I I think that because Comtois has scored, I think that's why they want to leave him in. And I think for whatever reason, Dallas Aikens loves, loves himself some Sam Steele. I mean, Sam Steele was the only prospect to, to stay on the ducks the entirety of last season. Troy Terry got sent down. Max Comtois got sent down. Max Jones got sent down. All these guys at different points in time got taken out of the lineup, got sent down. I think Steele got scratched for a game or two, maybe, um, and that was it. So for whatever reason, Dallas Hakins has hitched himself to Sam Steele, and it seemed like Troy Terry was the fall guy. And, and that's not saying that Terry didn't deserve it, because I think yeah. maybe a night off would, would be was good for him to kind of go in the press box. But I don't know if he's necessarily the drag on that line. And my hunch is, I mean, we saw it last year. Any time that Sam Steele was paired with someone, you saw his numbers drastically decline. And we mm-hmm. saw Troy Terry be very successful away from Sam Steele last year. And to the point where prior to the season ending, he was one of the more impactful players for the Ducks in terms of impact on ice, in terms of generating chances, things like that for his teammates. And was one of the better Ducks that by the time he was sent down to the AHL. And so with all of that information kind of running through my head, part of me really believes that this is more of an issue of playing with Sam Steele as it is Troy Terry. And it almost felt like Troy Terry was the fall guy for that. Yeah, it's hard to really pin down what doesn't work on that line, but I think that it's starting to be it's starting to be kind of clear that it's Sam Steele and it sucks to blame blame one guy completely, but Coltois can at least shows you he can do something. He can produce. Terry, I know he hasn't been good this season, but he's shown he can do some things 
okay. With Steele, I mean, the things he's done well are extremely limited. He's shown some flashes on the power play last year, and that's really it. So anyway, um, and the other thing I wanted to get to in this Arizona series, uh, Ben Hutton making his long-awaited debut uh, in the first game and also played, um, I mean, has, has played since. So what are your, I mean, what were your impressions of Ben Hutton in that series and just kind of overall since that time? He looks like an NHLer. I, I don't really know if there's any real other way to put it. I don't know if you view that as a big compliment or a negative, but he looks like an NHLer, which is what the Ducks didn't have on that bottom pairing prior to him. And, and so I, he looks fine. He He's not really a world beater uh, per se. He's not going to be this, this be all end all that really helps this defense and, and really brings them up. But I, I think he's, he's solid. I mean, he didn't have the best numbers of all time uh, in those games. But just from the eye test perspective, I, I think he does help out that D pair a fair amount. Um, just because he's an NHLer. I, I think having him there is better than having Andy Walensky. It, it's better yep. than kind of the alternatives. And so I, I don't really know. Um, I don't know if that's a glowing compliment, but I don't. I think it's the best that you can kind of expect from, I mean, he was signed on a PTO. Yeah. What do you expect from him? Basically type of deal. I mean, he, he probably shouldn't have been, but because of the weird, you know, COVID environment, he, he was still a free agent. So with Hutton, I do think that, you know, the, the, the results in terms of the numbers haven't really been that great for that pairing of Larson and Hutton, but just by the eye test, like you were saying, there is a, there is a noticeable difference between, you know, like a Larson with a Walensky as opposed to Hutton, who, even though he's not great, he's not a world beater. He is NHL caliber. He's pretty mobile. He's not, doesn't have a ton of speed, but he's got a really, I mean, he, he reads the game pretty well and he can make a first pass. And that's kind of, <laughs> I mean, that's a third pairing defenseman in the NHL. There's, there's not really a whole lot else there. Da- Dallas Akins was using him on the penalty kill and i mean he looked okay there as well so yeah the the arizona series to me was kind of where the alarm bells started going off a little bit just because of how flat the ducks really looked how unable they were to generate any kind of offense like you were saying earlier so i guess before we transition into the st louis series did you have any any wrapping wrap-up thoughts (laughs) on the on the um, Arizona series? No, I mean, John Gibson was insane. There, there's really yeah, no other way I mean, to put it. Um, I mean, that bears mentioning. Yeah, yes. <laughs> let, let me look uh, real quick. I'm just going to take a quick little glance at the article that I had. One thing that I do sh- we should plug right now is on CrashThePond.com, we will have a five takeaways article after each series that will be a rotation of myself, Felix, and CJ writing that, at, um, essentially kind of doing a brief little recap of the series with our own five takeaways from that. So I actually had this one. And so um, second periods were one of my things. Absolutely awful. John Gibson being great was another one. And the thing with Gibson is even in that second game where he allowed three goals, he was still positive in terms of GSAX, um, mm-hmm. it, which just kind of shows you when a guy allows three goals and still had more goals saved uh, than expected, that kind of shows you the level of uh, quality of chances that the Ducks were giving up throughout the game. And in the first game, he was insane. I mean, some of the saves that he made, I believe it was the second game where he made the save kind of sliding across his crease, diving and catching with his blocker and hitting into the post. He he was yeah. just absolutely on point. And, I mean, near the end of the second game was when um, he ended up attacking, uh, giving a nice face wash to Connor Garland. 
you got to think that part of that is frustration with his own team. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and just you think about how much, how much he's been under fire basically. And the fact that that was just kind of all of it coming out all at once. Um, the other thing is, I mean, we saw the ducks score their first power play goal in this series. Um, uh, this was their first power play goal of the entire season. Um, it, uh, it came on a shot basically from Danton Heinen that kind of found its way through, but I think the power plays, I mean, it's a big issue. Um, for, for this Ducks team. I mean, well, they, they did they, score a they, power play they, goal tonight. They did score a power play goal tonight and credit to them. But I don't know if that goal really came in a way that I would necessarily. Uh, it was off a face off. Well, here's my issue with the power play on the whole is it's so static. It's so, so mm-hmm. static. The guys have their positions and it almost feels like they're, they want, they just feel like they have to stay there. And, and mm-hmm. there's very little movement away from the puck. And the thing is, on a power play, you have that extra man. So try to get that guy lost. Because basically what penalty kills are trying to do, they're trying to really create this really this box that are going to be able to essentially stop cross-ice passes and basically maintain their coverage of five guys with four and do the best they can. So if you're able to have guys move away from the puck, kind of find soft spaces and coverage, and constantly moving, it makes it so much harder to cover. And that's one thing I haven't really seen from this Ducks team. What they're really doing is they're static. They're looking for the cross-ice pass and a shot and a screen in front to potentially find the back of the net. And that's what we saw in tonight's game with the goal from Silverberg. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they've they dumbed it down to this crazy degree now and, where and, it's basically just shoot shoot at the net, get somebody in front, and just hope that you know if you do enough of those, you'll get a goal out of it. And it's easy um, to cover it. Like it, it's if, if you're a penalty kill and you were to, to look at that, you're like, all right, I know how to cover this. I'm going to have my structure set up like this. We may give up a goal. That's going to happen when you're on the penalty kill. It's just bound to happen, but you can at least mm-hmm. mitigate the amount of chances that they're going to get by setting up your penalty kill in a specific way. And it's not that hard to really do that. And so that well, that's also, my issue. They also don't really have any pet plays. So what I mean by that is, they don't really seem to have anything that they're trying to go to every single time. If you watch certain teams, um, they will have, like, for example, I know everyone's going to hate me for this, but the Canadians have very Drink. obvious pet plays that they always try to go to. So on the right side of the ice, they're trying to work it down low. They're trying to go for that kind of one-touch pass from the goal line into the slot. They're just looking for that over and over, and there's variations of that. And so when that's closed off, you have – Weber on the other side as your one-time option. And if he gets bottled up, then you send it back and you just try the whole thing again. Now, of course, the thing that differentiates that from what the Ducks have is there's a lot more talent there. But still, there's a very clear thought process. There's not really much thinking going on that they have to do on the spot. They already know what they're looking for, and they're just trying to execute that. And they adjust with however the defense is reacting to them. With the Ducks, it's I mean, if I if I were to guess what their pet plays are, you see a lot of Getzlaff kind of curling down low, looking for guys, you know, trying to go low to high. That's the one thing that we see a lot of from them. Haven't done enough of a deep dive, but there just doesn't really seem to be a clear-cut objective outside of just scoring a goal, obviously, but there's not really a, I mean, a method to getting there. The, the objective or the, the clear-cut objective that I'm seeing, at least, is, is that the ducks are really looking to, to feed a, a guy on the perimeter for a shot and, and hopefully it, it yeah. gets through 
the the bodies in front of the net and finds a hole that that really yep. feels like it what they're doing and the issue is is that's not necessarily a high percentage chance you want not you you want very archaic when, when you when you're on a power play you want to be working for that high percentage look to to give yourself the best chance to score and that's not what that's doing well that, also one thing to, to mention is that they've been doing a lot of 2d three forwards which is also mm-hmm. not really statistically yeah. what you want they've been doing a lot of shattenkirk with lindholm and i I, I don't still don't understand. I, I still understand why Lindholm is just always on the power play. Doesn't make sense because he's not an offensive defenseman. He doesn't have great offensive instincts. He just shoots the puck a lot. I mean, that's kind of all that he does. And so, confusing there. But I mean, this is a topic that we can go on for for another hour about. Let's get into the St. Louis series yep. real quick, shall be- we? Before we do that, we've got. Uh, I want to give a shout out to I, I Kaika Warrior Twenty Two who subscribed uh on twitch and bionic chris uh just gave us a thousand bits so thank you so much to both of you thank you guys yeah well so we'll do a a quick recap here of the st louis series uh then we'll take a quick break and then we will go into the big picture stuff that i know everyone is probably waiting for a bit here so don't worry we'll get there but we have to talk about the actual games to prove that we do watch them right um let's uh let's talk about last night let's talk about that 6-1, 6-1, down 3-0 within minutes. What do you make of that game? Um, it felt like a regression for John Gibson. Um I, I don't goaltending I was don't, not great in that game. I don't know if necessarily you want to blame him per se, because no. you can find issues with the defense in a lot of different ways, uh, with those goals with the goals that he allowed. But the issue here is that Basically, the Ducks needed those saves in the previous games to be able to stay competitive. And the difference between last night's game and the the games against the Coyotes were they simply didn't get the saves. I mean, if you look at advanced metrics between the two games, um, it's not that different between last night's game against the Blues and the 3-2 to two loss against the Coyotes in terms of chances against. Same thing with the 1-0 win for the Ducks against the Coyotes. 2.7 expected goals against last night, 2.72 uh, in the three to two loss against the Coyotes, two point two six in the one to nothing win against the Coyotes, and, and so it's not as if the amount of chances they gave up last night were necessarily greater than in the other games. The difference is is that this is what will happen when you are letting yeah. a goalie go come under siege. Is not every game he's going to be able to be an MVP, and that's just going to happen. John Gibson is a human being; he's not a robot. And that's what we saw last night. He wasn't necessarily sharp. I mean, the the first goal you can definitely fault him for a lot because uh, he kind of really bungled up that rebound that that came in, and then Fowler probably should have done a better job with that rebound. But he's definitely at fault there. But it, this almost felt like a long time coming, and that's kind of where but, I was going. Yeah, this. It and felt all inevitable, these goals were this type of game. Yeah, and all the, all three of the the all three of those first goals were scored from the slot. I mean, these weren't, you know, far out shots that he just whiffed on. I mean, these were pretty solid opportunities. So yeah, two, two minutes in two Oh six in John Gibson had already been pulled. And some people thought he had pulled himself because of the way he skated off so quickly. He definitely looked like he was just like, screw it. I'm out. I'm I'm not dealing with this. But so that's the thing. And I think that what's slightly concerning about this game is that Ryan Miller didn't look great either. And no. he looked pretty shaky as well. He looked extremely shaky. Um, now, I do want to point out, before we get into kind of the rest of the game, that Max Jones did make it 3-1 to one, uh, late in that first period. And I 
And, you know, it wasn't a pretty goal by any means. I mean, it was like a third opportunity in the crease just driving to the net. But I do want to point out that I think Max Jones has been quietly pretty solid for the mm-hmm. Ducks since he's come into the lineup. He's gelled well with Getzloff. I mean, he kind of gives Getzloff what he had in in brief stints in the past with Andre Kasha, just kind of a puck retriever, a guy who can go and get it and, you know, get the puck back to him. And that's what we've seen with Max Jones. He he hasn't been great, but I would almost be willing to say that he's been the best kid so far. I mean, it's it's close, I would say, between him and Contois. Yeah, no, I think that that's... You a could f- even argue he's been better than Contois. I think that's a fair statement because of the fact of on-ice play. I think Contois, even though he has the goals, when he's been on the ice, the Ducks have not been good. And, and let's be clear, he hasn't scored in a while now. He scored like, in the first two games and that was it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, he's kind of riding on that. And and the thing with Contois that's a bit concerning is he hasn't been getting a ton of opportunities either. Now, in this game, in, in Saturday's game, we did see Dallas Akins put his lines back into a blender, and things looked pretty good for a bit. I mean, there, w- there was some, I thought, some movement that, that was actually paying off, um, particularly when he had Contois with um i believe he it was with henrique and um heinen at one point so maybe I'm getting it, that it was wrong. all over the place i think it was every, so all over the place i mean we but sh- the point is we should the, men- the point is we should mm-hmm. mention prior we we haven't talked about this at all with this game because obviously the, there's the big topic about about the play but um it was announced prior to the game that isaac lundstrom was drawing in for uh well drawing in for, for Derek sure. grant Derek grant came out of the lineup with yeah. an injury and David Backus came in for Troy Terry. So the lines to start the game were the same as your normal lines, except David Backus on the right wing of Sam Steele and Isaac Lindstrom centering the fourth line that very quickly after the first couple of minutes shifted where David Backus was put between the, between Delorier and Rowney and, and mm-hmm. was the de facto fourth line for the ducks then. And Lundestrom was kind of thrown all over the place is the best way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I just I was just gonna say with Contois when when he got put next to NHL players, NH like you know legit NHL players like Heinen and and Henrique, he looked solid. Like he was getting opportunities. He he had a couple of shifts where he got some good looks at the net, and he doesn't really get that much volume when he's with Steele. And so I'm I was kind of surprised that Dallas Akins didn't really go back to that as much um, in in tonight's game. But yeah, the the blender was in well, full effect and then after that i mean the ducks tried to rally back but the the blues eventually make it six to one and i mean david perron had an incredible goal in the second period just a blast off the post and in and i mean that would pretty much be it yeah and i, I think it, it's worth bringing up right here is, as you mentioned that with max comtois is that kind of lends credence to the idea that sam steals the drag on that line and that's the he drag is. on Troy Terry. I, I, that's the drag ready on Max Comtois. It. And yeah, I mean, it's a bummer because I thought Sam Steele in the first series against Vegas looked really good and looked like he had taken a step in his game. He looked like he had made some changes. And then, yeah, but I mean, the, the, one thing I do want to bring to your attention on that, because I've had that same thought as well. Okay. Even in that series, their numbers were still bad. No, like, the first game they weren't as bad, but yes, the second game it was bad. The, the the big difference that I've noticed in him is in that series, it seemed like in the offensive zone he had a little bit more poise on the puck, was making passes and completing passes in the offensive zone. Um, it, whereas since then, it almost feels like he's been forcing it in the offensive mm-hmm. zone. He he turns the puck over with, with a pass across the ice through the slot that just goes straight to a defender's stick significant, a significant amount of times throughout games. So, um, I mean... 
the Troy Terry slander should not be happening is where I'm going with this. Uh, he hasn't been good. <laughs> I know. I'm he kidding. hasn't been good. I'm kidding. I mean, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Are you, though? A little I bit. I think in your heart of hearts, you're not. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I think my takeaways from that game are that overall the Ducks were not prepared to play. Again, I mean, we've talked about this previously on the podcast that the first periods have been really bad for them, and that first period was no different. I mean, they were outchanced seven to two. Uh, shot attempts, you know, a little looked a little better, fourteen to ten. But when you get scored on three times in the first two minutes, it almost doesn't matter. And then the rest of the game just felt almost like a formality. Yeah. So, and you know, Ryan Miller looked pretty shaky to me. I mean, he was bobbling pucks. Pucks were going through him, and. I'm not going to fault him too much just because it's a weird scenario to come in like that. And especially in such a, when you're getting blitzed by the other team, but I don't think there's really much positive to take away from last night's game. Uh, yeah, I don't really know. By the way, Isaac Lindstrom, I mean, he scored two goals Friday night for the San Diego goals and we all was, knew we all knew it was coming. We all knew it was going to come that he scored two goals and instantly got called up. You know? Yeah, whereas, you know, someone else who maybe I'm forgetting what their name is right now, but uh, they've been putting up a lot of points and scoring, you know, game-winning goals of their own in the shootout, getting assists in clutch situations. But for whatever reason, that doesn't matter. Um, yeah, you know, you know, know, just just having – I think that he – that this this uh, this person had another two points is, is what I've seen tonight. I'm not sure on that. Don't quote me on that. But just has six points in, in four games. You know, you know. It just doesn't matter, but, I suppose. But, you know, uh, Lundestrom, you know, with the two goals. Structure. And, Andrew Agazino scoring a goal to tie the game off of a brilliant feed from th- from this person. Um, but, but, but structure. That, yeah. That's got to be the new one, but structure, instead of but speed. Oh, yes. I'm so happy we found that. Anyway, um, big booming shot, by the way, looked good on Friday in the game we watched. He did. He did. B- we, BBS. We did a little, um, we did a much deeper dive on that game on, uh, we did from Friday on the Patreon. So for anyone out there, there are patrons go listen to the bonus episode for a deep dive on that game. Yep. So let's wrap up the St. Louis series here though, with tonight's game, the one that we just watched <sighs> Adam Henrique scratched before the game. We got rumblings of that in the beginning of the day on Twitter. And then we saw Andrew Agazino's name pop up on the roster and there you had it. The Ducks with the monstrosity of a lineup. I mean, this was a sight to behold. You had Steele, Heinen, Silverberg, Jones, Getzlaff, Terry. So Terry drawing back in, Delorier, Bacchus, Rowney, and then, <laughs> wait for it, uh, Raquel, Agazino, Contois. So, I, what, what do you think of Henrik being a healthy scratch tonight? I think I'm. I need a couple days on it. I guess to- we've. Bu- I guess we've buried the lead on that a bit. But my my. I mean, I'll give you my thoughts because they're pretty clear to me. It's a mistake. It's absurd yes. that they would scratch Adam Henrique. I mean, I understand. Like, here's the thing: when people tell me, "Yeah, but he's been terrible. Yeah, but he's been invisible," I agree. I, I've I've tweeted the stats. Like, this is not something that I'm uh, that I'm unaware of. Adam Henrique has not been good this season. He hasn't been necessarily awful but he hasn't been living up to his contract he hasn't been really leading the way now when he's on the ice the ducks have tended to be pushing play in in the right direction i I would say his on ice numbers are still encouraging his individual numbers not so much but there's still something there and the ducks are 
supposedly in a situation where they are intending to make the playoffs. And regardless of how poorly a guy like Adam Henrique plays, unless he's really just preventing you from winning, um, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball by not putting him in your lineup. It's not as if the Ducks have this wealth of options at center that they can just plug in and, and they're going to be fine. Now, to their credit, the Ducks looked a little better tonight, but part well, of the reason they lost is that they weren't able to put away chances. And Adam Henrique, although maybe he's not an elite finisher, I would say that's one of his skills is that he's he's a, a decent shooter. So I mean, not having him in the lineup you partly were... contributed to the loss. And so I, I just think it's totally absurd. I think this whole idea of sending messages... Maybe he's banged up and, you know, it, he it, the scratch was about that. We, we don't know. Maybe there are other explanations. But assuming that this is purely just because they're sitting him, I just think it's it's ridiculous that they did that. Um, I think that it's you're actively reducing your chances yeah, of winning by and, doing stuff like that. And here's the funny thing with all of this. To, to bring back a, a fun quote, as we've talked about many, many times, that uh, – we both think Trevor Zegras should be on the team and the, the logic behind not having him on the team is, is kind of ridiculous. And I come, I go back to this quote that Dallas Akins had, where basically he said, we are or something along the lines of, we cannot just have players in here to get experience. We need to be competing every day. Or maybe this is Eric Stevens saying that about the team that they're, they're looking to win every single game um, that, that they can't have games just simply to get guys experience to all this stuff. Yet, here they are making the team worse to send a message. And maybe, I mean, here's the thing. The only way that I think that this is fine, maybe I, I still don't necessarily agree with it, but I would some, somewhat understand the logic is if a trade for Adam Henry comes in the next day or two. And yeah. And so you were holding him out so he wouldn't get hurt. And that's the logic there. That that's the only logic, yeah. but the idea of sending a message just really is not something I buy too much. Um, I mean, for instance, this, this, it's so easy to really kind of think this through right now and make this, uh, comparison, but Andrew Agazzino is the guy that came in for, for Adam Henrique. There was a glorious chance in the second period that I believe would have given the Ducks a two to one lead. And it was on Andrew Agazzino's stick. He's not able to bury it. He flubbed it. And Andrew part, Agazzino, of the, part, part of the reason is he wasn't set up properly. He didn't open up his body to receive it in a shooting position. And part of that is just Agazzino is not an NHLer. I mean, that's yeah, like, like exactly. there, there's not really any way, any other way to put it. I mean, this is a guy that has 43 uh, NHL games under his belt over the course of four seasons. He in total has, uh, let's see, two goals and six assists. Would you rather have a guy that has two goal, two career goals under his belt or a guy in Adam Henrique, who I can look it up right now, but has a significant amount more than that in that position to, to bury it? And, and so that's yeah. where this whole idea of sending a message just doesn't work. Like, let him like this is a guy, Adam Henrique, by the way, 187 goals in, in yeah. his career. I would rather have him out there, and, and that maybe and, bears you know, it. That maybe changes the the tide of this game for the Ducks, also as a result of that. And so it, it's hard not to look at that and say that contributed to them losing. I mean, this was a much tighter game for the majority of the game, and, and so um, yeah, it, it's just it's it's a poor decision. Well, I think another thing that may have probably pissed Adam Henrique off, and maybe part of the reason that this got out is he was on some pretty good games played streak. I think it was over 250 or 300 plus that he had played in a row. Uh, and that gets broken because of a healthy scratch that 
was not totally reasonable. Yeah, I'm, right? I'm, I'm looking, and basically, I think, let's see, he played in 81 games in the 17-18 season, but that would have been because of the trade. So in terms of yeah. games available. He hasn't I, missed. He hasn't missed a game since 2015-2016. And the way this leaked out is somewhat interesting. It came out through Nick Alberga who is known to be a, a good friend, I think, of Adam Henrique. Yeah, so... And, and so it was probably Adam Henrique to, venting to a friend. Yeah, and I'm sure the friend isn't going to put that out there if the player doesn't want it out, right? Especially with Nick Al... I mean, Nick Alberger, for those who don't know, I think it's every Friday, he hosts Hockey Central at noon. And so he's on mm-hmm. a national radio state, national radio show in Canada once a week and does a bunch of other hits uh, and does a bunch of other hosting. So it's not as if he's some, like nobody in, in hockey media he's someone who's in the know and so the fact that adam Henrique would have given him that info is it, it's noteworthy well because it means that he felt strongly about it enough to communicate it and was okay with it being put out there like there's a of course we're extrapolating a bit but there's definitely a case to be made that this is not something that adam Henrique was particularly pleased with and I get it because if there's one thing we know about NHL players that you hear about all the time is that they really value games played, that there's this, it's like this badge of honor, guys who have played a thousand games, guys who have like, you know, think about how big of a deal it was when Andrew Cogliano got suspended a couple of years ago, right? Because it broke the Ironman streak. Guys really value that. Like showing up to work consistently is something that they strive for. And for Dallas Akins to rob that streak from Adam Henrique for, Look, he's not playing well, but I don't think that that deserved being scratched, right? I mean, that's that's really the the that's really the gist of it. And now, give Andrew Agazino some credit; he's being put into a very difficult position, right? Because he's not he's not a, a top six NHL center, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he comes in and has to and has to fill that void. And look, that line did okay. You look at their stats; um, they were positive on the ledger in terms of shot attempts, expected goals, scoring chances. So. He was he was fine, but you got to think about the upside there. What what line has more upside, one with Andrew Agazino or one with Adam Henrique? It's a pretty clear answer to me. Yeah. So and, and so overall, kind of circling mm-hmm. back to this game and big picture thoughts. What were your thoughts on the lineup and the difference in it? I mean, the for me the the biggest thing here, how much better does that fourth line look without Derek Grant? Like we we, yeah. we said this going into the year that David like we weren't really sure why they brought back Derek Grant when they had David Backus. Like not as if yep. David Backus is this amazing player, but he's a good fourth liner. And I mean, yep. he's a good fourth liner that's getting paid way more than he should, but the ducks but got, the, but the ducks got an the, asset yeah. because of that. And, and so yeah. David Backus makes the team better on the fourth line. I mean, you look at the game tonight, they were 51.14 expected goals, four percentage on the night uh, over the course of, of this game. And so it's not often that we can say that the fourth line has, uh, has a positive goal expected goals for percentage a- and they look solid. I mean, David Backus granted was on the ice for, and the puck deflected off his stick and went in the back of the net. But mm-hmm. I think overall he's looked fine. Yeah. And, and he's setting up chances too. I mean, he had one really nice pass. I think it may have been last night to Ricard Raquel on the zone entry, just a little saucer pass over a defender stick. And that uh, was kind of like a little lead pass for Raquel. So he's, and he's a good eye test player. I mean, let you know, he's a guy who, when he's playing well, you'll instantly think he's he's effective because he's big, he hits guys, he gets down low. 
but the stats do mostly bear that out tonight that he was effective um we do, we already know that Derek Grant is not effective at five on five. That that line, maybe it's not just him. Maybe it's it's the line as a whole. But you put David Backus on that line, and they were visibly more effective. And I think that we don't really know anything about Grant's health status right now. But when he's available to play again, the Ducks have an interesting decision on their hands. Now, of course, it's Dallas Aiken, so it's possible that it's not even a, a question for him. Of yeah, Derek Grant's coming back in, but. I would say stick with it. I mean, stick yeah. with it for as long as you possibly can because Bacchus can kill penalties too. It's and not as if he can't kill penalties, uh, and I mean, so you're not losing out on that. David Bacchus is, I mean, it's not even really that arguable. He's a better player than Derek Grant. He's a better player. He, I mean, granted, he's older, and so that's a negative on him. But, but he David looks Bacchus, good out there. David Bacchus overall has had a much better career than Derek Grant. That doesn't necessarily mean he's better at the moment, but he has the pedigree and he's if he plays up to how he has he's a good fourth liner right now and i think that that's not really what you can say about Derek grant so other than that i thought troy terry had a good game tonight he had some <laughs> issues he set up yeah ricard he, he wasn't great a, but he, he set up he, ricard raquel with a really glorious chance in the offensive zone yeah i mean the thing that's weird with him this season is that i think that when he's been in the offensive zone he's been fine I think his defensive game has yep, looked a little worse to me. I mean, on I think it was the Blues' second goal or third goal, he essentially just let I think it was Vince Dunn just walk right into the yeah I know to the duck about. zone. Yeah, he just kind of he did the old uh, Matador defense that you'll see perhaps myself doing in beer league, where you know you got you got the stick out, you're kind of vertical to go to, and the guy just goes right by. You saw a bit of that and. Uh, it's just odd because he was a good defender last year, yeah. and it's a bit of a volatile stat, though. That's something that I maybe wasn't as in tune with when we were thinking about it last summer, but defensive metrics apparently do vary a bit more year over year. So something to keep an eye on. Now, any final takeaways from tonight's game? I mean, a bit of an improvement, certainly. Yes. I, mean, I, think, I think this is probably their best game that they played this week, you could say. Uh, in a 4-1 in a loss. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, this this was the game they, where I think they, they generated the most offense. They played, the be, they played better in this game than the game they actually won. Yes, they 100% played <laughs> yeah. better in this game than the game they won one to nothing. I, I think the, the thing that they can hang their hat on in this game is I think this was the best game defensively we've seen from them. And I, it not almost nearly as leaky, not as nearly as leaky. I, I think that they can maybe look at it and say, we did a better job of protecting John Gibson. I don't think John Gibson was necessarily good in this game. And no. that's kind of, I mean, that's, what's going to happen. You can't expect John Gibson to be an MVP level, especially this is something I didn't really understand the coming into this game last night. I thought John Gibson should have been given the day off today. Even though you want him to to want to be back in the net, this is a sprint of a season. He's going to be playing a lot of hockey. Get, he was not supposed to start tonight's game. This is supposed to be Ryan Miller's game. And those plans changed when Ryan Miller had to come into the game. Well, now also who starts on Tuesday in L, or against L.A.? Probably because, Gibson. Yeah, but originally the idea was Gibson was going to have two days off. Yeah, exactly. Him, and now he's got one. Exactly. So, and so it, it yeah. almost feels like they should have stuck to their plan. Maybe you don't start Miller tonight. You start Anthony Stolarz tonight. Um, yep. it, it just I, – I wonder – my point in bringing this up is I wonder how much of Gibson being somewhat poor tonight is a result of 
this being the back end of back-to-backs for him. And now, granted, he didn't see the workload last night because he only two lasted minutes. two <laughs> minutes. But there is something to be said about the preparation for a game and getting your body in tune for yep. a game, and that does have a wear and tear. And so even if you don't play the full amount of the game, you still go through that normal preparation. And I think giving him a day off would have been more beneficial in the long run than having him play in this game. Well, also, I'm sure Gibson was advocating to play tonight because he's probably chomping at the bit, wanting to prove himself. But that's where... That's where a coach can't let has a player to come in. be his own worst. Yeah, exactly. Can't let him be his own worst enemy. I mean, yep. that's where a coach has to be a good leader. That that that's that's exactly where they have to do it. They have to say, no, you need the day off. We can't be playing you in every single game this season if we want to have any sort of chance of anything. And so that's where Eakins didn't step up. He should have started Anthony Stoller tonight. I mean, the results, the result. They lost. They probably would have yep. lost with Anthony Anthony Stolars also. I don't. But you're not paying as much of a price. Long-term. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think it was a big mistake there. Okay. Well, I guess some last thoughts from me here before we we start moving upward and onward. There's an onward and upward, whatever. Um, I thought that, um, like, I I still think that Max Jones, you know, he's looking good. I I don't know what else to say. I was kind of down on him in the offseason. I didn't always paint a glowing picture of him, but I think that he's He's looked solid. I also think that Jakob Silverberg is heating up. It's something that we probably haven't talked that much it's, about. But do you think he's, he's been t- their best forward this year? Yeah, I mean, he's if he's not, if he hasn't been, he's at worst their second best. I mean, he's got three goals now. He tied Max Contois, and he's been one of the few players in this team who it feels like they're on the positive side of those shot metrics every single game. And and he looks. I mean, he's visibly solid. He's getting shots on net. He started off kind of slow, you know, a bit like his other line mates. But, I mean, like Heinen, they've really come on. And, I mean, I, I still ag- agree that Henrique hasn't looked great. But, you know, you didn't see Silverberg get scratched after some bad games. You didn't see Heinen get scratched. So, anyway, I think Silverberg's been solid. And I think that's a good sign for the Ducks moving forward. Yeah, definitely. So, Oh, I guess, I guess one last thing <laughs> uh, before we jump into a quick read here. Uh this was a good game for the Shattenkirk Lindholm pairing who they haven't had a lot of those recently. Nope. And so that's, I mean, for those, for those of you who are really starting to get concerned about the Shattenkirk contract moving forward, uh, you can press pause on that for at least another day for at least a day. Yeah. And (laughs) I mean, here's the thing, actually, no, let's save this till afterwards. So I think it's about time that we have a little bit of a word from our sponsor. Yep. Let's get into it here. Take it away. So, Are you ready for some football? The biggest game of the year is upon us on February 7th, one week from tonight as we record this, and it's in Tampa Bay, and it's time to get your balls feeling super. Our partners at Manscaped are here to tell you to join the already 2 million men who trusted Manscaped products for their uh, below-the-waist grooming needs. So, Felix, Manscaped has been great. They've been able to send us a lot of really good things to be able to test it out. The Lawnmower 3.0 comes in the perfect package 3.0 it gives you the best uh it, it's basically a no nick tool it protects you down there you can use it all over your body it's the best in men's grooming needs it has the ceramic blade and skin safe technology so your snags will be reduced it also is waterproof and has a 90 minute battery what has been your favorite thing that kind of we have from uh from manscaped yeah i mean they've <laughs> credit to them they've been just keeping us equipped throughout the last 
I mean, what is it now? A couple months that we've been working with them. So definitely the lawnmower 3.0, to me, that is the bread and butter. Um, like you were saying, it's the best hygiene tool. I mean, it's got the ceramic blade skin safe technology, which for me, as someone who when I shave or when I'm trimming, you know, you get the irritation afterwards. And I do notice that with the lawnmower 3.0, that is heavily reduced, long lasting battery, 90 minute battery. So unless you're going to be trimming for a good while, I don't know what the average trimming session length is, but I would assume 90 minutes can get you pretty far. Um, but outside of that, you know, you've got the crop preserver, crop reviver. Um, the crop preserver is anti-chafing, ball deodorant to keep your nuts in the game all four quarters. The crop reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe, with which hazel extracts that will give your balls a boost in clutch time. So there's really a lot to like here. And, you know, it's a big game. You got to be prepared. You got to be smelling your best. And I think that... Uh, Manscaped can get you there, Jake. And speaking of smelling your best, they also now uh, have, you can complete your top to bottom grooming game with their new refined cologne, signature scent by Manscaped. With the same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formula, formulas, the cologne is perfect, or a perfect complement to the collection. Um, it's a whole new balls game this Super Bowl. Get 20% off plus free shipping with a new code, uh, with the code CTP at manscaped.com. Your Super Bowls will thank you. Okay. Well, let's uh, one last quick little call here. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CTP. Okay. Let's move on here and let's zoom out. Zoom all the way out, Jake, because what we just saw in the last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. How does it make, let's, you know, a little quick therapy session. How, oh, okay. how did it make you okay. feel? Okay. How did it um, make you feel? I don't really know if it changed my opinion of this team. I, I think I expected this. I, I think there's probably a lot of people that want to hear me rant and rave about, about this. Uh, Fire Murray, all this different type of stuff. I, sure. Yes. I, I think that. I think that there needs to be a big change to this team. I, I've been saying that for a while. The management, it, it they don't understand this roster if they believe uh, this team could compete. And, and there's a whole lot going on in my head of, is it a situation where ownership gave them a decree to make the playoffs? And, and so Bob Murray put out those statements like that. Is it a situation where Bob Murray sold them magic beans and convinced them that this team was good enough? There, there's a whole lot of potential there, but at the end of the day, what this comes down to is this falls on Bob Murray's uh, at his feet because he put together this roster. There, there's no doubt about it. You look at the, the entire roster. It's his trades. It's his... Uh, draft picks. It's his team. It's his roster. He's been here for 14 years. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's been the one that has made the decision to not trade guys like Jacob Silverberg for futures, to not trade guys like Adam Reek, to not trade guys like Josh Manson. And the list goes on and on to keep that core intact and to potentially push for a playoff spot sooner rather than later. And at the end of the day, He's fallen in love with his own roster, or at least that's what it appears like. And that's where I actually go back to um, Brian Burke, I think, had a quote at some point on Hockey Central and Noon or something like that, where where when you're looking at these original prognostications throughout the start of the season, um, some GMs will call him and say, what the hell are you thinking? When putting With putting my team here, we're going to be better. We're going to be better, blah, blah, blah. He's like, the issue there is that these GMs, sometimes they drink the Kool-Aid. 
Sometimes they they don't re- they buy into their own team too much, and the people from the outside are able to evaluate their team better because they don't have that inside uh, loyalty. Let's go with that to the roster, and it almost feels like that's where Bob Murray is, and he almost has this loyalty to this roster. And the issue is is that none of these people are good enough, and I feel awful for the players as a result. And that's honestly where I come out. And a lot of people will probably look at the players and say, the players need to play better. They need to play harder. They need, they don't give enough effort. And I get that. You, you look at the game against the coyotes. You could see they weren't skating hard enough, different things like that. At the end of the day though, these guys aren't being put into positions to succeed. And that's something I've said so much on this podcast of put guys in positions to succeed in the NHL. These guys are in the top league in the world. Put them in their best spot to win. Putting Adam Henrique, Jacob Silverberg, and Ricard Raquel on a top line. There's maybe one player on that that would be on a top line on any other team, and that would be Ricard Raquel. But even him, those are second liners, third liners on good teams. You put those guys on Tampa. Are they on the first line in Tampa? No. Hell no. Are they on the second line in Tampa? Maybe. They're probably third liners there. And they're being asked to be first liners in the Ducks. What do you expect from this team with that being the case is where I'm at and why it's so frustrating for me watching this team of this was expected in my opinion because you look at these players, you look at the positions they're being put into. This team can't score. Well, no shit. They don't have first liners. They don't have the talent. Getzloff is the closest thing they have to a guy that can uh, distribute and pass pucks and, and create chances. And there's just, there's no overwhelming ability to create chances. And this is now all kind of word jumble at this point, but basically I don't put this on the players. I feel awful for them to be honest, because they are being put into positions that they shouldn't be put being put into by management and by the coaches. This team needs more and management needs to have a real stark understanding of this is the roster they have built. This is the roster Bob Murray built. And he expected it to be a lot better because the kids were coming in and all this different type of stuff. He made one change this offseason and thought that he was going to be good. They're going to find a way, luckily, to get another high round, high draft pick this year by the looks of it. And that's going to be good for the overall look of this franchise. But this will be another year where that's happened because Bob Murray fell backwards into that. Instead of giving himself the best opportunity to do that. We mentioned this on the Patreon show yesterday. You look at what the Kings have done. It's insanely frustrating as a Ducks fan to be able to to have to compliment the Kings and wish that the Ducks would in some ways copy that. But you look at what they've done. They traded Tyler Toffoli last uh, last year at, at the deadline. They got a second round pick in Tyler Madden as a result. Tyler Madden was in the goal, the game against the goals yesterday, looking really impressive or that was Friday for the rain. And he looks like he's going to be a solid NHLer. And the Ducks could have done that with Silverberg. They, they could have and gotten a second round pick, gotten these guys for him. I, I'm not positive, but that second round pick, uh, actually, I'm curious who that ended up being. I don't know off the top of my head. But you're getting this draft capital. You're getting these guys to push you forward. And it's just frustrating because the Ducks should have been committed to that a while ago. And it, if I could view this team and say, okay, they're bad. Sure, they're bad. But if I can view that there's a plan in place to get out of this, at least that gives me hope for this team. My issue is is that there's not even hope because the the hope right now was that these guys that aren't first liners would suddenly all all of a sudden imagine decide that they're first liners and they can do that. All of a sudden, Adam Henrique is a first line center in the NHL. All of a sudden, Jacob Silverberg is a first line or first line winger in the NHL. That's not how it works. 
You have to get the talent in. You have to do the work. You have to make the trades. You have to put yourself into a position to get out of this. You have to put a plan in place. You have to do the work. And Bob Murray hasn't actually done the work. He's felt like what he's done in the past just gets him there. There's my rant. I wasn't even planning on doing that. That came out of nowhere. That came <laughs> that out of nowhere. Epic. Oh God. We need we need that mashed up somewhere. Oh, that was great. That was very off well, the cuff. Hopefully you all enjoyed that. Didn't even mean to do that. Bob Murray is not put in the work. No, it, just but it's true. Full, it's true. We should, it's true. We should, we should am just I wrong? Go on sports talk radio. Just but am I wrong? Takes only. So here's what I will say. Okay. This is will be my my addition to what you've clearly laid out. So there are levels of blame here because the talk on Twitter since last night has basically been who is to blame. And I, you know, this maybe better than anyone because we do a podcast together, but I have been very, I have tried as much as possible to see every side when there's moves being made. And I haven't been that gung ho about management is at the very core of all of these issues. You know, I've looked at coaching, I've looked at players underperforming, right? Kind of exhausting every avenue. But for whatever reason, watching last night's game, watching this team just piss away another game of John Gibson's prime, it really made me realize that this is completely on the GM, or at least 90% on the GM. I mean, everything that Bob Murray has done led them to last night. Everything that about this team's construction led them to last night. A team that doesn't start on time because it it's so defensively leaky that you will see starts like that. A team that has a hard time coming back because, like you said, doesn't have the offensive talent. A team that completely depends on its goalie because it just doesn't have enough outside of him. And then on top of that, look, I anyway, I just wanted to point out that it kind of broke me in terms of I think this is really on Murray um, and that management has to change. And I think now the rest of the season may end up just beating, being us beating that drum. We'll see. But when you look at the layers of blame, when you look at, okay, clearly management, I think, is the cloud over all of this. We can agree with that. I also think coaching has been far from a strength for this team. Like I, oh yeah, t- people mm-hmm. take me blaming Bob Murray as me excusing and absolving Dallas Aikens of any of any blame, and I don't want people to get that impression. I think Dallas Aikens has not done a good job with this team. I agree, quite frankly. Yep. And then moving down another level, I think that the players. There's a lot of guys who have underperformed. We talk about mm-hmm. Adam Henrique even being in a position where he possibly gets scratched kind of says it all, doesn't it? And then Kevin Shattenkirk, I mean, he's been bad for the last, we'll call it week and a half, right? So there's mm-hmm. a lot of underperforming guys. But fundamentally, this is a mix that just was not designed to work. And I would challenge people to think, well, okay, let's say you take out Aikens, right? Let's say that we're tweaking the variables here. If you put in a really good coach, how much better is this team right now? Is this a roster that could be a legit playoff contender right now if you just had the right coach, the right guy pulling the correct strings? Do you my, think that? My answer, no. I, I think... They'd be a little closer. They I would think be they'd closer. be a little closer. I, I think they would yeah. be closer. I think that with a good coach pulling all the right strings, they would they'd potentially be, be com- they'd be competing potentially for that fourth spot. I think but that keep I think in mind, Aiken's system clearly doesn't work. Well, I think keep, that his decisions don't work. But yeah, I don't know how much, even if you optimize all of that, how much closer you really are. Keep in mind, you and I both are really high on the wild and think they're probably the third best team in the division, which leaves the St. Louis Blues as the fourth best. 
Mm-hmm. And so do you think the Ducks are we, – we just saw them play a two-game series and just get outclassed basically in the in those two games from mm-hmm. a scoreboard perspective. Uh, All-Nights Metrics tonight was closer, and, and that's a good thing for this team. But are the Ducks even in the same weight class as the St. Louis Blues? And with Dallas Higgins, I don't think so. I think no. if you have a better coach there that can optimize things better, I think they're at least potentially in the same weight class. Yeah, if you had the right coach, I think that – you know, when we were thinking about projections before the season, we were thinking of it in terms of an optimized lineup, I think. We were thinking yeah. about it almost mm-hmm. too much best-case scenario because yep. the best-case version of this team, I think, is easily better than, like, the Coyotes, for example. I think that they can maybe compete with the Wild and maybe even compete with the Blues, right? Not, not saying that they're going to be better than them, but they can give you some good showings. And under this coaching staff, it's been almost a joke at times how – ineffective they look and I do think that that is very much at the feet of the coaching staff I think that it doesn't really get talked enough about how you know outside of Dallas Aikens the you know the Ducks assistant coaches haven't changed since the Carlisle days Wilford and I am forgetting the other assistant coach's name now which is Mark Morrison Mark Morrison Mark Morrison yeah Mark Morrison sorry apologies to Mark Morrison but Mark Morrison and Marty Wilford have been there for a long time and they've overseen some of the worst five-on-five teams that we've seen in in the NHL over the last few years. I don't think that's a coincidence anymore, right? That that there's just something there that's not working. I mean, it's funny how they like no one talks about that, but this coaching staff is just there's just something that's not working there. Whatever they're preaching, um, you know, they can talk about guys not uh, getting it, about guys not. Uh, bringing it every night, but you know, whatever term coach speak you hear from Dallas Aikens, I don't think you can really say anymore. Oh, the guys just aren't implementing the system. I think it's just the system is rotten itself. Right. Yeah. Agre- agree I, on that. Agree. Okay. So I think Dallas Aikens is definitely has a lot of blame to this. And, but I do think that Bob Murray has just not really set him up all that well. Now, Part of this is on Bob Murray for hiring Dallas Aikens in the first place. Now, we can talk about how, you know, maybe he was under the gun from ownership to hire Dallas Aikens, but look, he's sold ownership on plenty of other things, right? He's, he's, he's sold con- ownership on Randy Carlisle coming he, back he, for a second stint. He's sold them on himself, <laughs> right? So why couldn't he sell them on a different coach? And maybe, maybe whoever was overseeing that decision-making process thought, well, look, you didn't exactly get the last one right. So let us have more of a say here. And partly fair, but as it turns out, Dallas Akins is very much kind of a, you know, he's he's a rookie NHL head coach, right? That's what mm-hmm. he is. He's he's learning on the fly right now, just as much as some of these young players are. And the results aren't awesome. You know, this is not a Bruce Boudreaux who comes out of the AHL, right, Hershey to Washington, and immediately is great. Now, of course, different roster, different team. But since that time, Bruce Boudreaux has been pretty much great everywhere he's gone, right? So with Dallas Higgins, maybe if he had a better roster, maybe he'd be better. But some of the decisions he's making with this roster lead me to believe that he's not op- that he wouldn't optimize whatever team well, he'd get. Yeah, I mean, look no further than the fact that he has the grant line is the, the quote unquote shutdown line. The fact that he has them against Nathan McKinnon. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to be able to look at that and say, that's probably a bad decision. And mm-hmm. and, and yet they, they did that for an entire game. And it's just 
it, it just feels like poor decisions and, and, and poor optimization and not willing to, to change. And it, it's just, it, it's odd because I, I was a big proponent as everyone probably knows of Dallas Hickens coming into this. I wanted to see him get a shot. I thought he got the, the short end of the stick in Edmonton. I thought he had changed a lot of what I had heard of him, whether on different analytics podcasts, podcasts, different things like that really sold me on him. But he's not necessarily living up to what he said. And I think well, that's... He, he, he clearly doesn't factor in analytics one bit into his decision-making. Either that I mean, or management isn't letting him. No, like he which, could still which scroll... Which bizarre as it, I say that. It, it, no, like yeah, they're, no, not no, blocking his, yeah. they're not blocking his laptop from natural stat trick, I don't true, think. True, true. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that this whole billing that he got of a modern coach who looks at the game differently... I think he's very old school, actually, in, yep. in the way he approaches it. So, yeah, I think this coaching staff has been, uh, so far, not so good. I think that management, I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum, but I think this weekend really brought it into focus, how there's just a mix here that has not been working under previous coaches as well. Now, of course, that previous coach was Randy Carlisle, so not an optimizer there either. Now, the question that I would pose to you before, you know, as we cross the hour mark here, what's the next step for the Ducks? What what do you think they will do? What do you think happens from here? And what would you do? Let's start with yeah. what do you think happens from here? Let's let's stay with so, reality for now. <laughs> it, it's a tough question, honestly. And I think the, the, the issue here for the Ducks, and I think a, a dose of reality for Ducks fans is a good thing right now, is that I don't necessarily see Dallas Aikens being let go this year. And I think a big part of that is COVID. Um, if you bring in a new coach, they have to quarantine uh, for a specific amount of time and get tested. And so it's a long process to get them in. And because of that, I don't really see that many coaches getting fired this year. I, I was listening to, I can't remember what podcast, but they were talking about that and that that really is going to play a part in this year and that some guys there just may not be any firings throughout the NHL as a result of that. And the fact that it's a shortened season and all these different things. So I don't really think Aikens is going to be let go, but I, I don't know if Bob Murray is going to be let go either. And I, cause that feels like an off season move to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's more likely that that happens than Aikens being let go. And I think part of that is that um, Bob Murray it, having a general manager is a little bit easier because he doesn't necessarily have to be there on the site and doesn't have to be in contact with anyone. He can travel uh, and kind of be in his own bubble and socially distance from everyone in the rink or different things like that and not have to be on the ice coordinating with other people and do all that through zoom Mm -hmm. and so or watch practices and everything like that. So that that's why to me, it might make more sense that Aikens may last throughout the entire season and Bob Murray doesn't, but I don't necessarily think the Samuelis are going to pull the trigger on that this year. I think it would really have to keep going this way for that to happen. What I do think is going to happen is Bob Murray is eventually going to bite the bullet and trade away a main core player from this roster. And I think that's going to happen sooner than later as a warning shot to this team. I think that we could see potentially Adam Henrique moved. We could see potentially, we mentioned this on the Patreon pod, the Ducks need to figure out what they're going to do with Henrique, or not with Henrique, with Raquel and Lindholm because it's pretty soon they're going to be UFAs, not this summer, but the one after. And so the Ducks need to start figuring this out and having a long-term plan of how they're going to get out of this and how they're going to make this team better. And you know what I'm kind of curious about? What's kind of interesting to me is that we haven't heard a whole lot of people bringing up the fact that the Ducks are missing Josh Manson right now. You haven't heard a lot of that. No, but I just, I just find that a scapegoat. I I just feel like in, in, in previous years, we've, 
anytime there's an injury, it's well they're missing this guy. So I think people it, are low on Manson, which is why. Yeah, I mean, I think it says a lot about Manson. I do agree with you though that it just feels like something has to happen, right? And I do think that there are clearly constraints with firing a coach, firing a GM in season in in this era that we're living in. So maybe it's probably not going to happen in season, but I it feels like someone's going to get moved. Now, it's going to be hard. I mean, it, you know, Adam Henrique doesn't have this easily tradable contract, right? And he has a 10-team no-move clause. Do you think he gets traded? No. Well, here, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll read you a quote from tonight from Dallas Aikens on that yep. subject. Yep. Uh, this is from uh, Aikens' availability after the game from Eric Stevens. Aikens on scratching Adam Henrique. We talked to the whole group in training camp about accountability. I'm not pinning that last game on Adam at all. We could have taken five guys out, but we still had to put a lineup out there. Adam was upset, but Adam is a man of high character. He understands why. He's going to respond for sure. What do you make of that quote? I don't really know what to make of it. I have it up right now. Trying to really just... I mean, it's definitely a shot taken at the entire lineup, but you still take out a guy. Like I just don't understand the line of, well, he didn't do anything. You know, I'm not pinning it on him. But, but you it, know, when, when you take a guy out and you snap his game's played streak, like, that's a very specific move. You know, you can't just say, oh, I could have taken anyone out, but I took him out, right? Like, that that kind of smells like BS to me. Yeah, it, it definitely does smell like BS to me. I don't know. I, I think that I think something's got to give. I, I think eventually Bob Murray's going to well, have to realize. Maybe this, maybe this sours Henrique on the whole situation and makes a trade easier to, to get to. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. So, I mean, I, I'm curious to see kind of where they go. I think a big trade's coming. I, I think something's got to give. And and I think Make whether that... Make it, whether, put it on the line. Whether that is Bob Murray being let go, whether that is a trade being happening, I think a trade happening is more likely to occur than uh, Bob Murray. Sorry for the meowing in the background. Uh, Salem has gotten into the room because my wife has let her in here and is now meowing all over the place. So if you're no, hearing that in the fine. background, that that's why. That's funny. I love that. Uh, you probably we, just everyone probably just saw her on the bed a little bit. So we we need we need that. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but uh. So I guess I would agree with you. I think something has to happen. It just feels like there's too much tension there, right, for this to go on. Now, looking at what we would do, and then after this, we'll probably get into some questions. I, if it were up to me, this offseason, complete cleaning, cleaning of house. Yes. Start all the way over. That includes – and look, it's not because I want people to lose their jobs. It's not because – like I said this on Twitter after the game, I actually feel for the coaches and the players because I think they've been put into a very difficult position by management. Like they have been set with this, with with these expectations that don't really align with reality, right? Of we need to make the playoffs. Um, that's not where this team is at, even in the best case scenario, like we talked about earlier. Um, so I feel for them, but at the same time, the mix isn't working. And so if it were up to me this summer, start all the way over this franchise. What it desperately needs is just a new set of eyes. Just someone who hasn't been there at all. Someone who is not going to have previous allegiances, not someone from the farm system, because as you can see, that has actually limitations that we didn't see coming, like having Isaac Lundestrom on the second line to start the year. 
when you're saying you want to win. So new eyes, I don't really have any names for any, everybody right now, unfortunately, but a new set of eyes, a, a, a new group, and someone with a clear-cut vision. Because look, the, the Ducks have the new district, the entertainment district that's going up around Honda Center. And what year is that going up? The OC vibe? Is that what it is? Yeah, I'm not Paul. Yeah. I think it's 2024 is when it's supposed to be done. So look, this is how I would pitch it to the, the ownership is look, we need like, we know that we want to sell tickets in the short term. But realistically, we're going to be in rough shape. Anyway, the league is bouncing back from all the lost revenue. We're going to be protected by the revenue sharing for now. Let's if we bite the bullet now, by the time things are really open back up and there's the OC vibe, we can potentially have a really good team again. This It's a two- to three-year plan, right? And, yeah. if, and if you can execute that and stick to it and make appropriate adjustments when, they, you know, when you have to, they can get there. Like, that's what I was talking about last night on Twitter as well is, look, there is still an opportunity here to make things right. You have a prospect pipeline. Is it necessarily flush with talent no but it has you start to see the framework right now with zegras and drysdale and i would add perot's name to that dostal there are names and a couple more drafts and then you can really be solid there um you have a great market i think this is a place where players like to live it's it's quiet um you know but at the same time it's a great place to live there's just a lot to like about this franchise and as long as you can optimize that, you can really make this thing work. It's just this own this current management group seems hell bent on just maintaining the status quo, just just being okay enough to to keep their jobs. Right? That can no yeah. longer be that can no longer be the mo because that's actually having the opposite effect. It's going to get them fired. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree, and I mean. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said. I think there needs to be a cleaning of house. I just think there needs to be a new methodology, a, a new thought process. And analytics. I mean, l- let's just really quickly do it. Um, name some names for GM and coach that you would want to see. I don't there's know. Two that, there's two that come to mind. I know that you GM have your names. Gill- you can- Gillis. Yeah. Gillis is one that comes to mind. Eric Tolsky is another one that comes to mind. So, yeah, uh, I think I would go more with Mike Gillis because he does yep. have GM experience. Agreed. Whereas Eric Tolsky, you know, as for as excellent as he does sound, uh, he doesn't have that GM experience yet. And I don't know necessarily if you want to just be giving the keys to someone in their first job right away because it is such a big job. I'm not saying he wouldn't do it, but there is some it's, – it's harder to pitch that, I think, as a candidate. But with Gillis, he does have the experience. He has – clearly shown a willingness in the past to embrace new ideas. And I think that that is a very, that would be, that would actually be my pick. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. So want to get into some questions? I, I love how I'm seeing in the chat that people say the Ducks should hire Tortorella torts. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I haven't that. seen this, but did you see this thing about uh, Mike Gillis and his interview proposal leaking for the penguins? I actually didn't see that. No, yeah. Um, Let's take a look at it. Okay. So we're going to get some questions from the Twitch chat. So if you have questions, start throwing them into the chat. 
There was one, early, we have two earlier on that I do want to get to though. So for those of you watching the YouTube video, yes, we're on YouTube. You can find us at youtube.tv or youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, please like and subscribe to the videos there. Uh, you'll get notified anytime the video goes live or on our, if you're listening on podcast services, the place where we do our live streams is twitch.tv slash crash the pond. You can come uh, help support the channel here. You can follow and you'll be notified anytime we go live. And you can also subscribe to the channel with Amazon Prime. You get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month you do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days and it helps out help support the channel more than you can imagine uh you get special emotes in the chat special badges next to your name so let's start with this one um aussie 85 resubbed for three months and added a question do you see a henrique trade incoming <laughs> yes or no i think yes because okay. he sounds pissed off and yeah. uh you know unhappy people sometimes don't want to stick around yeah uh, anime holics, uh, D 94 asked us, uh, have we overestimated Bob Murray's drafting ability? Cause for the longest time we always thought, uh, drafting yes. as the one thing he is very good at, but is he actually as good as we all have thought? No, no, a hundred percent. No, I think that he's been vastly overrated there. Not saying he's bad, but there is this notion out there that the ducks always have this awesome prospect system. And maybe this is more about their developmental system. Maybe they, have been drafting well but just not turning guys into NHLers whatever the case may be in recent years we have definitely seen a downtick in guys becoming NHLers uh, or impactful NHLers and I think that that kind of shows a bit of a uh, of a weakness a bit of a flaw right now for Bob Murray there yep Um, all right NJ Devils fans uh, Devils fan 68 asks where will the goals finish the season in the Pacific standings (laughs) well I don't think they're as good as the Ontario rain, even though they beat them on Friday. I think the rain are pretty deep, but who knows? I'll let's just say first. Cause I, I don't really know the AHL that well. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's, let's be hopeful here. Um, so really quickly, do you want to give a highlight? Yeah. Trevor Seagrass had two more assists tonight and he had the game winning game winner in the shootout. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see the goals being one of those teams that really picks up steam as the season goes along because you have a lot of guys there who are entering pro hockey for the first time. And as they get accustomed, there is the skill level there. So you, you could see them do well. Yep, definitely. All right. So uh, Fat Geralt asked this question. Who would you pick with the first rounder this year? I mean, really, you and I don't really have a great idea. I mean, what is um, Owen Powers, the the, the people ha- that everyone... Haven't done enough prep to really let you know. Yeah, but Owen Powers, the name out there. I mean, I know Maddie Beniers is a guy that looked really good at the World Junior. So, I mean, that those are the names that I really know of at this point in time going into this, uh, into this uh, draft. Um, and so we've got this question from uh, Ikeika Warrior. Is anyone on the Ducks safe? From trades do you think there's anyone that you would consider safe i think ryan getzloff's safe <laughs> i mean he has a full no move do yeah. you think um do you think john gibson is safe well that's kind of a weird question because i think safe a trade get gibson being traded wouldn't be some uh indictment against him as a player or that he hasn't performed well enough right i think when we think is a guy safe from a trade, you think of guys like Raquel, Henrique, Silverberg, who if they don't perform well enough, you know, they're on their way out. With Gibson, he's pretty much a guarantee to be a positive for this team. So him being traded would just be more about, you know, we just need to capitalize on his value and reset essentially or, 
use his value to go and get prospects. So if by safe, you just mean, is anyone off the table? I don't really think anyone's off the table right now outside of Getzloff. I think Getzloff, Drysdale, Zegras are... Oh, well, if you're including prospects, then yeah, sure. Yeah. We we know Zegras and Drysdale are not on the table. Yeah, exactly. If they weren't willing to trade them for Pierre-Luc Dubois, they're not willing to trade them. Yep. Um, Time Twitch asked us, and this is our good buddy time. uh, All the current kids are disappointing and don't matter. Why should we get excited for the next batch when when Murray has shown zero ability to draft goals? Well, look look, look at what they've done. I mean, it's pretty simple. Look at what... Trevor Zegras has done compared to Troy Terry. I mean, he's he's at shown, he's shown far more at the levels he's played at. And even, I mean, you can even compare them in college. They both played NCAA hockey. It's pretty clear that Trevor Zegras has a much stronger track record. Now, does that guarantee he'll be an NHL player or a, a you know a first line NHL player? Maybe not. But I think his starting position is clearly ahead of Troy Terry. I mean, he was a ninth overall pick compared to a fourth rounder. Well, like, and the other thing you, you here kinda is... You kind of have just, to trust just, that to some also degree. Just, just look at world junior track record. I mean, we've said this a bunch, but Trevor Zegras tied the U.S. record for most yeah. world junior points in and a, in a, Troy in a Terry's, world junior. Troy Terry's claim to fame at the world junior was with him being the only skater on the ice. Yeah. So, you know. And, and the, I mean, Zegras has basically in every game except for one, I, I think he has two points. He has two assists in every single game outside of one game that he's I mean, played in the I mean, I just think that this is a matter of you've got to watch them play and kind of just see, like, this is a different They're, caliber of player. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, all right. NJ Devils fan, or sorry, Ginger Wolf asked, the Ducks look gassed a lot. Certainly part of that is frequently bad positioning, but should conditioning be better as well? Do you think the Ducks are a badly conditioned team? Uh, well, you know, there is this whole thought of, well, the teams that haven't played in in such a long time, are they at a disadvantage? I don't think so because they've had months to prepare in theory. They've had, they've had months to get in awesome shape. And so there's really no excuse there. And if they're in bad conditioning, uh, that's 100% on them. I mean, if you're a pro athlete and you're not in shape, what are you really doing at that point? Well, there's been a focus from man from from the coaching staff on the shift length is what they focused on in the last couple of days, and that doesn't exactly line up with the actual data that we have. We have numbers <laughs> on shift length, and it doesn't really line up with them actually taking long shifts. I, I think they look gassed because they're they're defending a lot, and, yeah, and because the system is tiring. Bad. Yeah, because and so I think that's it's more so they're they're caught out there the system's bad the players are being put in positions to fail and so they're caught defending for most of the game i think that's why yep um nj devils fan 68 said who won who won the men's royal rumble tonight the royal rumble was tonight i caught most of it before we started recording uh looks like i miss or i did miss the end it looks like edge won edge came back entered at number one i think is now the second or third person ever to enter the royal rumble at number one come out the other side with the win weird decision not the biggest fan of this rumble. Keith Lee should have been in it unless I'm missing something. I did not see him in there, and that was a big disappointment for me. Haven't paid attention to the WWE very much, though, of the last little bit. So, tuned in for the Royal Rumble. Been a, more of an AEW person of late. Um, there, there's your wrestling talk, Felix. Just for you. Just Continue. For you. Continue. Uh, um, Ken Pafu asked, uh, do you think the Samuels will allow Bob Murray to make any more trades? And I think that's a, an interesting question. If Bob Murray is a bit of a sitting duck, and we agree that they should probably clear house in, in the offseason. Is it, is it sitting duck or lame duck, or is it both? I think it's both. Okay. Chime in on the Twitch chat. Let us know. I think it's lame but, duck. 
But Maybe. anyway, yeah. Whatever. Um, lame I guess a lame probably. duck would be sitting as well because they're they're immobilized. <laughs> Do you anyway. think the duck should allow him to make trades? Uh, well, I I don't know to what degree they even discuss that with him. But yeah, if he's a if he's a, a wounded duck, then I think you're in a position where you really have to think about what these trades are. And so it's case by case. If if it's a trade that you know you're flipping an Adam Henrique for picks and prospects. I don't think there's any issue with that, but any hockey deals where you're trading like an Adam Henrique for just like a swat, like a one for one for another struggling veteran, I would just red light on all of those. Like we just, those are not acceptable at this point. Yeah. Um, Nate is asking, what do you think Ricard Raquel's worth? And one name that you and I yesterday were kind of spitballing as a comparison is I think Tyler Toffoli is a decent comparison for yep. for Ricard Raquel and, H- higher end pick and prospects probably and, the, the value and here yeah here's the thing is Tyler Toffoli at the deadline got you a second round pick and a pretty high prospect what does Ricard Raquel with a year and a half left on a very cap friendly deal get you in addition yeah. I think he gets you a significant actual return um and can really help out this team long term uh if they end up moving him M Young said uh, I mean, I could, but could you guys see Gibson pulling a wah and just giving up on this team and requesting a trade? If so, what kind of package do you guys think Gibson could get? I saw an article saying with Colorado trading Byram slash Newhook plus a, uh, two first rounders for him. There was, I don't know if you caught that. I forget which website had it, but uh, there was an article talking about different trades for the Avalanche for goaltenders and the pipe dream one was uh, John Gibson for them. So it was definitely just speculation on their end with no actual kind of real inside knowledge that Gibson's available, but just kind of spitballing. So do you think that Gibson could pull that? And what do you think he could get in return? I 100% think he could pull that. Um, if the, if he ever did decide, you know what, I don't want to spend my prime years uh, for a team that can't win and doesn't seem to be able to put together a winning roster and hire a winning coach, then yeah, I want to take my talents elsewhere. Uh, if he'd ever did decide to do that, I think the Ducks could certainly get a very substantial return. I would not be looking to align with Colorado, even though there is a match there in terms of need. I just, if the Ducks are going to cash in on John Gibson, who has to be their biggest trade chip, their most valuable trade chip, I think that you need to solve your main issue and to me the 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 ducks main issue is lack of high-end offense and if you get bowen byron back that's great bowen byron is a fantastic uh, prospect and will give you another awesome prospect along with jamie drysdale and the future on the back end suddenly is basically set in stone but i just think that this league the best teams are built on elite forwards star forwards and unless you're unless you're getting something even close to that back uh, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, agreed. Real quick, as you can imagine, Bonding ch- uh, chimed in um, on the sitting duck, lame duck thing um, it's, it, yeah. in, in our Twitch chat, and it's both. Sitting duck means the gun can pick him off, so yes, he is sitting right there. Lame duck means injured and unable to defend himself or run away. See, I, I was correct. You said lame duck. I said sitting well, duck, Well, no, right? what, what I said is, so if you're lame, you have to be sitting. And if you're Fair. sitting, you could be lame. <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. Um, so we have two more questions that we'll get to, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Scientific Lance asks, if you are, are Gibson, when should you request a trade? Do you think it's this year? Or do you think it... Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, 
I don't really know what what's in his head, right? I don't know if if you know hockey players aren't like basketball players where you know you see trade requests all you know quite as often, and so I. And that's not a shot at basketball players, by the way. It's just like there's a difference in I think the agency of the players in in that league versus the NHL. So I think that with John Gibson, what does he want? I mean, if 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 he's happy just living here in Southern California and uh, you know kind of toughing it out until the Ducks are good again, then I don't see him leaving. But if he has this competitive fire that is just not going anywhere, then yeah, I mean he's probably going to want out. So. If I were him and I was at all feeling like I want out, I want to go win now, uh, then the trade request would be now. <laughs> that means yep. you got to get out while you still can. Yep. And then Anime Holics, uh D94 said, question, if this draft is going to be very defense heavy, we already have a high pick anyway. Should we be criticizing picking Drysdale in the last draft when guys like Rossi yep. were available? 100%. I mean, I was saying that <laughs> on draft night that – Yes. I think it was a missed opportunity. Even if Drysdale is a good prospect, even if he's going to be fine for them, I think that, again, the Ducks have this unsolved issue of high-end offense in, in droves in the pipeline. You Sure, you've got Zegras, but he's kind of alone. So, yeah. I, I, I think like all draft picks, I think we're going to have to wait until we have the bigger picture of where these guys turn out, whether no. they hit. It. No, it's it's not about that, but continue. I was just going to say that I, I think we need to see that bigger picture before we see that. Because who knows how Rossi actually turns out. You and I have our beliefs on how he's going to turn out. Well, if no, he, but it's not he, just Marco Rossi. Like, there were other guys. that they, I mean, true. Alexander Holtz, Cole Perfetti. No, like, this wasn't true. just... No, but uh, my, my point is we need to see... I, I think we need to see how Jamie Drysdale turns out in comparison to those. Because if Jamie Drysdale becomes undoubtedly the best player, then the Ducks made the right pick. Yeah, but that's that's... That's, you know... That's is it? after the that's after the fact reasoning. Like, of course, you could say that if that's how it turns out. But should they be taking best player available? To me, you judge it by who. Like, it's about what you know at that time. Who Agreed. you think is the best? What are your options? So, but my point in, in I, saying I, I just, this is, I don't really believe in evaluating it after it it shakes no, out three but, years but later. But they should be taking best player available, correct? And they they didn't do that. I don't think. So. Agreed. That's yours and my my opinion. Mm-hmm. But if their opinion was Jamie Drysdale was the best player available, and he turns out to be that, then they were correct in picking that player. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. So anyway, fair enough. I'm just saying <laughs> that there is there is some patience that has to. And if all things turn out as you and I think, then sure, there there is definitely a way that we could criticize it. Um, but uh, real quick, I want to get this question in because I'm wondering your thoughts on this. And this is something I saw someone throw in our Discord chat also. Realize 92 said, do you think Montreal would trade Cole Caulfield? Do you think you could get Cole Caulfield for Ricard Raquel? No, not a chance. Do you think you could get Cole Caulfield plus for Hampus Lindholm? Very unlikely. Damn, you are that high on keeping Cole Caulfield, and you well, don't no, think but ju- just just look at the Canadians' roster. Like they have guys at every position signed. Uh, it's just if like for them to trade out or for them to get a Ricard Raquel, they have to be trading someone out. And but, Ricard Raquel just isn't worth an A level prospect right now. Fair enough. Like, just throwing it out there. No, that's insulting. Get away from me. <laughs> So mad. Uh, you want to hit this real quick? We had this from Ken in an email. Ken Knight in an email. Um, we'll do it real quick. Basically, he's concerned about the power play. Who do you think has more blamed with the the issue that the power play has had? Uh, 
coaches or players? Uh, I think it's – I'm actually starting to lean players a bit on that one. Huh. Because, because we've seen this power play be bad now for a while with different coaches, right? It wasn't any good before under Carlisle. True. True. And it's not good now. But it's the same, it's the same assistant coaches, like you said. Well, yeah, that's the thing. So I definitely think it's like there's def- it. It's what I come down on most of the time. It's I would say it's sixty forty coaches, but maybe before I would have been seventy thirty coaches. Whereas now I think it's a little bit more on the players. I but you know what? Yeah. I think the power plays looked okay at times in the last couple of games, when they've got Steele with Terry out there, and Getzlaff. The puck moves around pretty good. It's just that first unit where they go three F two D that I just don't understand. Yeah. Definitely. So, okay, that's going to do it for us for tonight, though. Thank you all for the questions. Thank you, Ken, for the email and questions. This has been a good one. It's been a fun one. Yeah, this was a – there was a lot to get through. And uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed that. Uh, if you if you did enjoy it and you want to keep supporting our show, well, we've got a bunch of different ways that you can do that. So we talk, we talk a lot about our Patreon as we kind of go through our episodes here. So if, you, if you've been liking what you've been hearing here, you can support us at patreon.com slash crash the pond. And there's some exciting news on that front, but I'll give you the basic rundown. So for a dollar a month, just $1 a month pledge, you get access to our patrons only discord chat, which I am so happy about how that has grown and that has kind of become its own little community. Essentially, when you join that chat, you're there with a bunch of ducks diehard fans with really just kind of wholesome just respectful discourse there's no trolling or anything like that it's just everyone's having a good time we, we chat during games we chat uh, when there's breaking news it's a lot of fun and so if you get that for one dollar a month you know if you're someone living in an area where you don't know that many other hockey fans i think that that could give you just an easy way to get into a new community that sees it maybe how you see it and also you get to support your favorite show now for five dollars a month you still get access to the discord chat but you also get access to two bonus episodes a month now for these episodes if you enjoy kind of maybe the lighter side of our show i think you'll enjoy it there is a bit more banter it's a little more unfiltered we go more in depth on topics where you know clearly you can see on these shows we have to hit a bunch of different topics so we don't have quite as much time to go in depth we Sometimes do league-wide rankings. Sometimes we go and uh, talk about completely random things. We talked about The Mandalorian. Did an episode where it was almost entirely a Mandalorian, which uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, congratulations. You, you need to watch WandaVision because we're definitely going to be doing that on WandaVision. Yeah, everyone everyone keeps telling me about that. Yeah, you need to watch it. But we'll talk about it. We are also introducing a new tier, and this one I'm very excited for. So, Jake, why don't you give us the rundown on that one? Yep, so we've introduced a new tier at $15 a month, and with that, you will get all of the previous benefits that Felix talked about. You will get the two bonus episodes. You will get uh, access to the Discord chat, and on top of that, we have added uh, two watch-alongs a month that you will get with the $15 a month, and so basically what that is is there will be an article that will be posted with a link to a stream that is only exclusive to people that have that link. The only way you can get that post is if you are a patron at that specific level, and basically two games a month, Felix and I will have the score up for the game for you to sync up with us, the game audio, and Felix and I will just be talking over it. So it's essentially just Felix and I 
Um, Think of us as, like, as the replacement commentators. Well, not only that, but <laughs> it, it's basically picture this podcast that goes for an hour and a half a week, basically. And that for three hours, basically, of us just talking over, shooting the shit, basically, talking about the game, answering your questions. When you're in the chat, we'll be answering your questions, talking about it, going through. So if you have questions that you just really want to spitball with us, there's another great way. Picture it not only as a watch along, but a way to just kind of have three hours where you can just interact with us as we're talking. And Well, also, so, I, I do think that, to me, the, the big value of, of the our broadcasts is that we give you insight during the game that you would not get from the broadcast. Yes. You know, we look at the analytics that we talk about on this show. We talk about them. We, I think talk more about different line deployments. We look at lineup combinations, uh, you know, matchups within the game. So we're giving you a much more granular detailed look at the game than you're going to be getting, you know, from the standard broadcast where you talk about momentum and, different things like that. We're giving you, I think, a, a much more analytical view that you can that you might enjoy. Yep. And so if you are currently a patron, you can edit your pledge now to, to go to that. Um, if you want to be a patron, go for uh, go to the website and take a look at it. If you are one and uh, upgrade and suddenly get double charge or you've done it for the, the year subscription that we have, which is available also for the $15 a month where you can do the year subscription for that. Um, and basically... Um, if you're having issues, if you've already done that, hit me up. We can figure out a way to make it work and get you up to the 15 to upgrade to the $15 a month uh, tier, um, even if you've already done the year. So um, let me know if you want to do that, anyone out there. But it's a really fun, awesome thing that we've added. Yep, absolutely. So that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, a few other different ways that you can support us. So if you have the Apple Podcast app, this is a really quick and easy way just search Crash the Pond, the name of our podcast, and leave uh, a, you can leave a five-star review. All you got to do is tap the stars, and boom, you're done. But you can go one step further and also leave us an actual review and let us know your thoughts. And this has two things that really help us out with. So first off, you know those reviews are really important, help us climb the charts, get us noticed. But also, we just love hearing from you guys. We've Over the years, we've gotten some very memorable reviews, and we always make sure to read them on the show i don't think we have any new ones to read this week so but when we do get new ones we'll make sure to read them so just search crash the pond on apple podcasts we're pretty much wherever you can get your podcasts we're on spotify make sure to check out our youtube channel youtube.com slash crash the pond and uh, make sure that you're subscribing there and that you've got your notifications turned on jake essentially just uploads the twitch video here so when we're talking about different charts things of that nature during our Twitch streams. You can see that in video format. We get some good comments over there and uh, Jake will make sure to respond. Now, one thing that I do want to talk about, uh, if you go to our website, crashthepond.com, uh, we've got a shop page now. And so we've got a cool new logo this season. And if you go to crashthepond.com and, and go to the shop section, You'll be able to see, I mean, we've got hoodies, t-shirts. Um, now up on the screen for everyone. Yep, and you've got different colors. I mean, the t-shirt comes in black, orange, white. And what's cool is that we've got the eggplant logo, which is the one that I have. And it's a personal favorite. I've got it in the black, but we've also got it in orange. So we're really just encompassing all the different palettes here of the ducks. And we've also got the hoodies and the hoodies look great. Um, basically, you've got on the front... Same with the t-shirts on the left chest. You've got a smaller Crash the Pond logo and then on the back, a bigger logo. So that's at crashthepond.com slash shop. And if you get one, 
And if you get any of these items, let us know. We want to see how these are looking, if we need to make any tweaks. Um, and you can hit us up on social media at Crash the Pond. Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. And I am on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. So if you if you get a shirt, and we've been seeing your orders coming in, let us know, please. Because uh, we want to we wanna see how these are looking on people and uh, getting the word out there. So that's all I've got. Jake, you got anything else you want to throw in here before we get out? Um, nope. Just keep an eye out on CrashThePond.com. You will have an article, your five thoughts for this past series going up tomorrow. On Tuesday, I will have my weekly ratings that will be going up. And if you have anything you want me to rate, let me know. Um, I haven't necessarily decided what I'm going to rate this week. So let me know. I'm riding it tomorrow. Okay. Well, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Hope you have a fantastic week. And we will talk to you next Sunday. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.